we're going to start today in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse number 24. Here's what the Bible says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that in this time and space, we have your word, Lord, to lean on. We have your written word. We have the canonized holy word of God in our possession to help us navigate through our todays and see us into our tomorrows. We love you and we thank you, God, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. If you um, know your Bible, I've just read to you the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. I believe there's about two more verses there, but this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you know what the Sermon on the Mount is, it's probably one of the most famous teachings of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, it goes from Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and it ends in chapter 7. Uh, Matthew, in his depiction of it, in his writing of it, he does it all up front. The way that Luke writes it, you see most of it in Luke chapter 6, but some of it is scattered throughout his, uh, his version of his gospel. And so here we get it all up front. What's interesting to note is, one, Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of heaven. If you are a child of God, if you believe Jesus is your Savior, if he is your Lord, then you have to know about the kingdom of heaven. That is what you and I, that's, that's what we live in right now. That's the place that you and I dwell. Why? Because God dwells with us. He is our king. He is our Lord. Satan still has an opportunity to tempt you, to, 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 he has some authority on this side of eternity, but not for long. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Those of us that are in Christ, we are a new creation. We belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. And these are things that, that I don't want, you know, in sermonizing and, and hearing all these sermons after sermon after sermon. You can go on YouTube right now and, and, and find all kinds of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. But let's not just lose sight one bit of the fact that the God of the heavens came down on earth, stayed here for 33 and a half years, redeemed you and I so that we could stand here today and live a life more abundant. You're called to a life that is better than what the world offers. And a lot of it can be seen in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. I'm giving you the tail end of it because, in my opinion, this is some of my favorite when it comes to what we're about to talk about today. I've been focusing on, on spiritual formation. And the truth is, I want you to be formed fully. I don't want you to just hear a message here and a message here and a message here 
I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit to be able to grow you in the way that God wants you to grow. And I can't think of a better um, frame of reference for your formation than Matthew chapter 7, specifically verses 12 all the way through 27, the way that he ends it. Because this, I believe, will give you some idea of how you are meant to be formed by God. As someone who's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, this is what you should look like. This is what should happen in your life. Somebody say amen to that. So as Jesus wraps up this thing about the, the Sermon on the Mount or what he said, if, if you look on, on, uh, in Luke, it's also called the Sermon on the Plain. And, and it's a neat place to go visit. Uh, when Israel opens back up, I'm taking whoever wants to go with me. I already had plans to take everybody in 2025, but it looks like that might be delayed. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem, somebody. And uh, my prayer is that you'd be able to set foot there with us and be able to yes. grow your faith. Yes. There's nothing more real than, it's almost like if the Bible was a pop-up book and you go to Israel, it's like God drops you right in Matthew chapter 7. And you're literally standing. It's almost as if time passed by everywhere else, but there it has not. And you look and you see, this is where Jesus taught. This is where Jesus walked. Jesus, you know, there's a step uh, in front of the, um, over by the teaching steps that our tour guide said that this has probably been here since Jesus' time. So more than likely, Jesus would have stepped right here. We all put our foot on there because we wanted to stand exactly where Jesus stood. My prayer is that we be able to experience that again. So pray for the peace of Israel Pray for the Palestinians that are far from God, that desire to be close to him, so they may come to know him as well. Pray for this all the way around. What you're looking at here, if you know your, your Bible, it, it, you know, it's almost as if um, the end of the world, the Armageddon, is being teed up right now. If you're a golf person, yeah, they're teeing up right now. Par five, baby. You know, it, 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 it could happen. And, and those of us that know Scripture... Can see, can see it. And so my prayer is that you would not slacken your faith when it comes to the Lord. That you would do your part. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all, the, uh, all that Jesus has commanded us because it's that important. So Sermon on the Mount, if you look, it starts with the Beatitudes. Do you remember the Beatitudes? Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those. You know, there's, there's all of that in Matthew chapter 5. In, in, in chapter 6, you see um, the religious practices, the whens that Jesus talks about. He says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. These are three practices that every believer ought to be able to do and should be doing. They're not ifs, they're whens. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. These are things that you and I should be practicing. And then... You come now to Matthew chapter 7. This, to me, speaks so much about discipleship and spiritual formation, which is what I want to get into with you today. So just to um, recap, I want to share with you our mission, and we're going to put it up on the screen. So the mission statement for our church, Sam, can you put that up for me, please? There you go. Will you read this with me? So those far from God will be connected 
so those far from God will be connected to life in Christ. In other words, those that are not close to him are going to get close to him. You were once, Ephesians chapter 1 says, you were once afar off, but the blood of Christ has brought you near. And so my prayer is that all of us would walk in step with God. If you have a spouse and you go walk somewhere with your spouse, usually you're holding hands. You're that close. I think that there's people that may be in the same room as Jesus, but they're not close enough to hold hands with him. My, my prayer is that you would be that close to the Lord. Because when things come your way, what better to have, or who better to have, standing right there next to you is the king of the world and the savior of the world. Things won't really bother you like they should. And I think distance from God is a dangerous thing to play with. So the mission of this house is to bring you closer so that you'll be engaged with what life looks like in Christ. Extremely important because I think it's a matter of life or death. This is, might as well just be like in and out. You can either get a hamburger or a cheeseburger. No chicken here. You have two options. You have life or death when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. It's heaven or hell. And the neat thing is Jesus paid a way for all of us to be able to, to partake into, the, into his kingdom. But you have to choose. And I don't think you should be wishy-washy about it as we we're going to read about in Matthew chapter 7. So our first value, I spent two weeks on it, says this. We prioritize the presence of the Holy Spirit. Will you say that with me? We prioritize. There is no church without the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen to that. This thing that we read is just ink on paper unless it's divinely inspired by who? The Holy Spirit. When you and I sit down and read the Word early in the morning, before you do anything in your day, before you start your day and go to work or do something, when you read this, I believe the Holy Spirit breathes on the section that you are reading so that you will get a word in season and he will communicate with you. and You will feel that closeness as though you are being connected to life in Christ in that space. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what I believe. I believe when you gather here, the Holy Spirit breathes on our gathering. And we are here. We're knit together now for one purpose, to glorify the God that you and I serve, the one that redeemed us, the one that brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. To me, it's that big of a deal. And I don't want to minimize anything anymore when it comes to God's kingdom. I want to make sure that we prioritize God's presence here with us. Remember, he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he's with you. He's for you. He is not against you. I don't care what TikTok says or what Instagram says or what Facebook says. What I care about is what God says. And so let's let these things frame you, which brings us to value number two. Read this with me. We, we live by the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
These are words to live by. When we gather on a Sunday morning, we talk about this. I will use my life experiences to illustrate what God is saying. I want to, but first and foremost, I want to exposit scripture and read to you scripture because that is the only thing that I know for sure is anointed by the Holy Spirit, is what God has said. What I do and what I say and what I add to it is nothing, really. But hopefully it adds and helps to your understanding of what God is saying. We focused on the value of the Word of God last week. We went through Matthew chapter 4 and Jesus in the wilderness. Today, I want to talk to you, when it comes to the Word of God, about doing the Word of God and what Jesus considers wisdom versus foolishness. Because we do a lot of dumb things on this side of eternity. In fact, they dedicate whole pages to that on social media about fails and dumb things. I think Sarah and I were up for like two hours watching funny videos of people doing dumb things. And we sat there and go, this is what doom scrolling is, I guess. We just look at dumb things and laugh about them. Jesus is giving us counsel as to what is considered wisdom and what is considered foolishness. In these last chapters, in these last verses in Matthew chapter 7, know this. Jesus always describes two courses of action. Let me say it like this. There are two courses of actions with regards to your formation. As a believer in Christ, you get two choices. And the first thing, I'm going to, let's, let's go back. If you ever, this is a good week if you brought your Bible to church with you. Because if you brought it with you, make notes. Remember, clean Bible, dirty Christian. Dirty Bible, clean Christian. So mark up your Bible. That's what it's there for. Underline stuff. Write stuff down in the margins. It's extremely important. Um, that's at least that's what my Japanese mentor said. Clean Bible, dirty Christian. Dirty Christian. Queen Bible. Oy. Two courses of action to our formation. So we're going to backtrack. I read to you verses 24 through 27. Go with me to Matthew 7, starting in verse number 12. This is what Jesus says. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Verse 13, underline this, these, the first five words there. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I don't need to add anything to what Jesus is saying right here. I think it's pretty black and white. The question that I often ask myself whenever I remember this scripture is sometimes I will ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, truly, how narrow is that gate? Because there's a lot of people who I thought were solid and had a good foundation in the Lord, but yet 
I find them going the easy way. I see them going by the popular way. And the way that I read this passage, that's not the way that leads to life. That's the way that leads to destruction. In this portion of scriptures right there, Jesus gives two ways. And if you look at it in terms of spiritual maturation or formation, this could be the start of your life in faith. There are two ways that you can choose to start your life in faith. You can enter by the narrow gate which, where the way is hard. Or you can go to the popular gate, the wide gate, where everything is easy and copacetic. Jesus is pretty clear. This side leads to life. This side leads to destruction. And he leaves it at that. He tells you, go this way. But I'm not going to force you any one way. I'm telling you, this is the way. Go this way and you will have life. Go this way and you will be saved. Go this way and it will be good for you. Go this way, you're going to be met with destruction. Go this way and it leads to death. There's two courses of action. And this is usually how our life starts. Our life of faith starts. We stop and we go, yeah, I don't think I want to die. I think I want to live. So I'm going to go this way. You don't need to, to really sit there and look at, well, I don't know what's important, easy or life. Like, that's a no-brainer. It should be, at the very least. A couple of things that I wrote down here. The way of life leads to an inward transformation. It changes you on the inside out. The way of destruction is content with external appearances. Everything out here looks great. I'm just going to change my behavior. But I don't really have this deep devotion to keep going when the way gets hard. I always ask myself this question, since when has anything worthwhile come to me easy? Everything that is worthwhile in my life has always come with challenge. You know, there's some things that Pastor Rosie would always say. She would always say, you know what, when I first started reading the Bible, I was dyslexic, and I couldn't really, it was hard for me to, to, to read anything. But the very first book she said she ever read from cover to cover was the Bible. Could it be that the Holy Spirit said, you know what, we're going to flip things around and change things. I know it's going to be hard at first, but watch, it changed. And I know that that woman has read more books than the Bible in her lifetime, which means that it became a catalyst for more. Sometimes you going the hard way and taking the first step becomes the catalyst for you to attain the, the more challenging things that everybody wants but not willing to go, get, go, go over there and, and, and experience it for themselves. Sometimes it's your willingness to go, you know what, I know all of you guys are going that way, but I don't know if that's the right way. And the Holy Spirit will tell you. And the Holy Spirit will direct you. And he will guide you. And then next thing you know, you're doing something that nobody else is really doing, but you don't care what everybody else is doing because you know right here there is life. Yeah. 
I know right here God is right here with me. I can sense his presence with me. So then I'm going to keep going that way. Woe to the person goes the other way. There is no God. There is no eternity. People say that stuff nowadays, and everybody just kind of subscribes to, oh, yeah, well, maybe there isn't. But where the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. When we look at Jesus, he's going to draw you towards his way. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No one can come to the Father except by him. Which way are you going to go? This is how you start your life of faith. I can either go this way. I don't know. 10 o'clock is kind of early. I don't want to go to church at 10 o'clock. How come you guys don't have a night service anymore? And you know what we do? Most churches will placate to what is easy. Oh, yeah, let's meet them where they're at. And that's cool. I'm totally subscribed to that. But at some point, you're going to have to do something hard in your life. You know, those of you guys know, I have a discipleship group that I meet with on Sunday mornings. And the first question is, dude, you have a group that meets on Sunday mornings before church. Isn't that challenging for you? Yeah, it's hard, but it's worth it. And everybody in my group has to memorize scripture. So think of it this way. Hey, would you be part of my group? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love the invitation. Thank you. By the way, you have to memorize scripture every week. Oh. It's hard, but it's worth it. This way leads to life. I'd rather put the word of God in you. Because if the word of God is in you, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Your faculties react. And you will live different when the word of God is put inside of you. Somebody say amen to that. You choose which way you get to go. And there are only two ways. Stop trying to make up a third way. There's only two ways. Narrow gate. Hard way. Wide gate. Easy way. You choose. Jesus presents them with that, and that is the start of your life of faith. Second, two ways. He describes two trees. Matthew 7, starting in verse number 15. This is what Jesus says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. I'm going to say that one more time. You will recognize them by their fruits. Then he says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. I want you to notice this, the way that Jesus talks about this, because this is book-ended with the thought about fruits. You will recognize them by their fruits. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And he describes two trees, a healthy tree and a diseased tree. 
he describes two fruits, good fruit and bad fruit. The two trees illustrate growth and the results of our life and faith on this side of eternity. How do I know that I'm walking the right way? Because you ought to be producing good fruit. Why is it that I keep falling into this pit of sin? Check the tree. The fruit should tell you what's going on with the tree. When there's something going on in your life that's amiss, make sure you check the tree. Check the roots. Check the water. Check the soil. Whenever We used to have a tree in front of our house. It was there when we bought the house, but somewhere along the way, it got rotten. It was at the front of our house, and there was an issue with the soil. And it corrupted the whole tree. It wasn't a fruit tree, but it didn't bear any kind of fruit. And the next thing you know, the, everything just started decaying. It just started turning black on us. It just got all ugly and, and started withering away. We had to get rid of the tree. A healthy tree produces good fruit. A diseased tree produces bad fruit. And the de- diseased tree gets cut and put away and thrown into the fire. It shows you what your growth looks like and the results of your faith today. You want to know how you're walking upright before the Lord? Check the fruit. Here's what uh, one thing to, to note about fruit. Fruit can be determined by what is pleasing to God. Not always pleasing to you. What does God say on the matter? In other words, ask yourself this question. Did my decision for Jesus change my life? Did it change my life? Because if your decision for Christ did not change your life, could it be that there's something wrong with your tree? Because there should be change in your life, noticeable, visible change. In my group, you know how I know that these men are being changed? Their wives tell me. <laughs> and like a bunch of puppies, all my guys are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Mama said, I'm doing good. That's how you know that your life has changed when somebody else says something. Stop trying to tell me that you've changed because I can, I can hear what you're saying, but you, a tree is known by its fruit. During that time, the Pharisees would always tell people how they should live, and that was the tree that they were trying to model their lives after. But those guys were more talk than life. They would say to you what needs to be done, but most of the time they wouldn't do it themselves. Remember what he says about this in the very beginning. He says, beware of false prophets who inwardly are different. They're ravenous wolves. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You'll never know because they might look put together. They might wear the long, dressy robes. They know exactly how to say what that needs to be said in the same manner People can quote to you scripture. People can memorize to you scripture. But unless their lives are totally different and look just like what the Bible teaches us they ought to look like, then they could be false. You can measure someone who, worth following by the fruit that they bear in their lives. 
If someone says, hey, man, I got a word for you, but their tree is diseased, I'm sorry, I'm good. But if they say, I have a word for you, and, and, and I know by the fruit of their life, if Pastor Richard came up to you and said, hey, I got a word, because he's done that to me before, then I'll trust that word. Why? Because I trust the tree. So if you're going to, nobody's going to give me some gross, crusty apple from a diseased apple tree and go, hey, this is really good. Try it. No, I'm good. Thanks. Make apple pie out of this. No, we're not doing that. I'll go have a pudding or something. I'm not eating that. Truth is measured by godly fruitfulness. Something about false prophets that I want you to know that if you look in Deuteronomy, there was two things that they did. A a false prophet always led people away from God. Be careful who you follow because if they're, they're leading you away from God. In other words, they'll say things like, oh, you don't have to tithe. God will bless you just the same. Where does it say that in the Bible? Don't forgive them. How dare they treat you like that? Never forgive those people. I don't ever forgive those people. Where does it say that in the Scripture? Those type of people are leading you away from God. The other thing that they say is false prophets, they were punishable because their words would not come to pass. In the Old Testament, it meant death. If you said said something, thus says the Lord, and then it doesn't come to pass, that meant death. Well, in Jesus' time, apparently what was happening is they would not put them to death, but they'd kind of put them off to the side. You know, like, oh, that word did not come to pass. I know you said that, but tell you what, we're going to pull you down from uh, being up front before the people, and we're just going to put you over here on this side so that you're not visible. That's not what Jesus, that's not what the scripture said. Jesus came to combat all of that stuff. He, he, he basically said, if they don't live right, then they're false. Check the way that they live, and that will tell you whether it's true or not. Truth will always always be measured by godly fruitfulness. If the truth is inside of you, you will bear good fruit. Challenge yourself. Because I chose Jesus, because I made him Lord of my life, am I bearing fruit? Did my life truly change? And if you could say, yeah, then cool. Then the tree is growing up just fine. You are the tree that's planted by the streams that will bear fruit in its season and its leaf will not wither. You're going to be that tree. But if you're bearing something other than that's kingdom, fruit that's not of God, check the tree. Which brings us now to the passage that I read to you earlier. So there was two ways, two trees, and now we have two houses. I'm going to tell you something. This is by far, to me, the most formative um, portion of the Sermon on the Mount. I think if you understand Matthew 7, 12 through 27, you'll you'll definitely have more than enough to be able to get you going. This is really important stuff. I don't want us to take this lightly. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, don't take this lightly. Turn to your neighbor, the one that you like better, and tell them, yeah, you too, man, don't take this lightly. <laughs> two ways, two trees, now we're at two houses. Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Did you hear that? Some of us can hear what we don't do. I'll just listen to the message online. Yeah, the message was about assembling together, gathering with one another. Yeah, but I'm just going to watch it on, at home. Why? Because I don't like getting out of my pajamas. I, if, it's, if it's Sunday, I'm just going to stay in my pajamas all day. I can still get the Word of God. But you're not with people. The Word was to gather with one another. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Yeah, but still, I heard the message. You're not getting it. You're hearing, but you're not doing. Faith without works, James says, is dead. Everyone who then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Notice that Jesus is using the metaphor here of describing himself. Who is the rock? It's Jesus. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You know who, and during that time, was building their house on the sand was Pharisees. People that bore no fruit for their lives whatsoever. The ones that Jesus and John the Baptist would call brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. Bear fruit, bear fruit worthy of repentance. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. Look what it says there at the very end. Great was the fall of it. Remember now, the two ways illustrate the start of our faith. The two trees illustrate the growth and the results of your faith. Now, the two houses illustrate the end of our life in faith. The day that you face Jesus, you're either going to fall or you're going to still remain standing. I don't have time to mess around. I don't want to mess around. When it comes to kingdom stuff, I'm not messing around. When it comes to, oh, it's just the Bible. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. The Word of God has said. I take that to heart. Remember what I said last week? Forty different authors over 1,500 years. That's, that's what went into this. Every single person that wrote here was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is what? God-breathed. The breath of God that breathed life into this formed man that was formed out of the dust and gave it life is the same God that breathed into the words that were written here. Forty different authors over the course of 1,500 years wrote this, and they all pointed to Jesus. 
Yet we still sit there and go, I don't know if that's true or not. What? Compared to what? People would base their life on a Stephen King novel that was written less than 50 years ago. But 1,500 years? Come on, man. Great was the fall of it. So two houses. Builder who builds his house on the rock and a builder who builds his house on the sand. Something I want you to take note of, because we do live in Vegas, and there's a lot of track homes here. House may look the same on the outside. In fact, you ever been on one of those streets? Man, does any house look different here? They all look the same. Jesus gives an image of two houses from, made by two different builders, and they probably look the same. But the difference is in the foundation. The stuff that cannot be seen. Which if you take inventory of your private time, that's what helps form you according to the Holy Spirit. I'd rather, how many times did Jesus retreat? Like Jesus would just randomly retreat. There's times where the disciples would be sleeping and he's over in the garden praying. It's what you do in private that gives form to what you do in public. But yet, we don't like to work or do anything hard. Waking up early is hard. Is it? I read this the other day. You know, exercise is hard, but sickness is harder. Eating healthy is hard, but sickness is harder. Someone said that, you know what, man? I'd rather deal with going through a workout for one hour than deal with something that's more catastrophic that requires me to go to therapy for the next whatever years. You get to make the decision. You get to nurture what foundation you are on. You can either build it on the rock. What does that foundation look like? It's people don't, that don't just hear, but actually do it. You have to do it. These things are not just really cool like tweets. You know, you just, you're not going to get like 140 characters that go, oh, I could retweet that, you know. I could re-say that. It's not a bumper sticker that looks really cool. It's not a social media post that you could put behind a graphic or anything like that. These are actually words that you and I are supposed to live by. Remember when, when Jesus looked at his disciples? Because in John 6, I believe it is, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And everybody said, peace, I'm out of here. That's weird Kool-Aid. I'm not eating your flesh and drinking your blood, buddy. But the disciples stayed. And Jesus looked at them and says, do you guys want to go too? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. These are the words of life. Where are you going to go? What's better than this? Nothing. So you hear them, and then you do them. I've heard so many people say to me, oh, yeah, the word of God is foundational. To that, I'm going to pause because I'm going to say that that's incomplete. The word of God is foundational, but let me say it like this. This is a better way to say it. Obedience to the word of God is foundational. Hearing it and doing it ought to be foundational, not just knowing it. Satan knew 
the Word of God. But the difference is you hear and then you do. These are things that Jesus is describing as a foundation that you and I are going to eventually come into judgment at the very end. You can either choose to live with wisdom by doing all the things that he's commanded. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You can't say, well, I love Jesus, but your life is totally contrary to what the kingdom of God is described as. That's foolishness. This is what it's going to be like at the end. To which I ask myself this question. What would Jesus say about my doing today? I'm going to challenge you with the same question. What would Jesus say about your doing today? You're in church today, so I know you're here. We're all listening. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, let's challenge ourselves. Let's force ourselves to go through the narrow gate and the hard way. What are we going to do about what we heard today? Let me read to you this passage in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is how I know it's about judgment. But in verse 21, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I'm going to say that one more time, okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus is my Lord. Not everyone. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? But then he gives you the promise right here. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. If you would not just hear, but you would also do, you are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We keep treating that like it's, like it's the worst thing ever. It's not the worst thing ever. God is actually showing you which way to go. Remember, he disciplines those whom he loves. He corrects those, those whom he loves. Embrace the correction and run in the direction of repentance, and you'll always find yourself coming out on top. But if you would sit there and you go, oh my gosh, he hates me. He doesn't like me. What? Where are you getting that from? He would send his own son to die on the cross for you. He loves you. That kind of love is immeasurable. But you take this and you think he hates you? Listen to what he says. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Didn't we, didn't we help at church with that one outreach back in 2014 in your name? Didn't, didn't, didn't I serve in kids' church that one time in 2019 pre-COVID because kids are freaking me out now? Like, I served back then. Didn't I do that in your name? And he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is why it's important that you and I stay connected to life in Christ. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. What better person to be standing right next to or with than the person that is writing out what is happening in my life as we speak? I'll link arms with him so that I will always know what the will of God is. Remember, he says, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what is the will of the Father? It's everything that I've been preaching to you for the past five weeks now. First one is that you would believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your whole household will be saved. Believe. It always starts with faith. Believe. It's impossible to please God without faith. Believe. Believe what? Believe that he is who he says he is. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the sent one. He is the only begotten son of the Father. He's the one that made us clean. Though your sins be like crimson, they shall be made white as snow. He sacrificed. He was a Passover lamb that sacrificed himself so that you and I would be made clean. Believe. And the second part to that is become. You want to know what the will of the Father is? Believe and then become. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus sacrificed himself so that you would be an inhabitable vessel. Because God won't dwell in anything unclean. Now he has made you clean. And that's why he says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to be able to dwell inside you because my son has now made you clean. Now it's Emmanuel every day, all day, 24-7. Because Jesus has made me clean, the Holy Spirit can now rest and dwell inside of me. Greater is he that lives in me than he that dwells in the world. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And now, on top of that, you get to live with God always on this side of eternity and then face-to-face once this eternity, this life passes. So my, my charge to you, friend, is make sure that you're growing. Make sure that you're growing in the way that God wants you to grow. Next year, I believe there's going to be more discipleship groups. As far as discipleship groups, what I mean by that is it's intense, one-year commitment. I'll talk a little bit more about it as we get there, but this is what a discipleship group is. There's no more than five of us that meet. We meet every week. We read scripture, assigned reading independently, and we gather. And when we gather, we share what we, we got out of each of the five days. During those five days, we pray for one another, or during that time of our gathering, we pray for one another, and we share the memorized scripture. Did you memorize um, Matthew 6, 17 through 19 today? Yes. Okay, go. And then we recite it to one another. At the end of one year, guess what we do after one year? Now you go and do it to somebody else. Five now becomes ten. And then you can keep doing the math. The church of Jesus Christ is never meant to grow up. It's meant to grow out. And this is what we're being formed into. This is God's will for you and I. If it wasn't to be so, then once you were saved, you and I would have just evaporated and went straight into heaven. But we are here. Why? We are filled by the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. This is God's will for you and I. You want, you want to know the best trajectory of your life? Go where God says to go. 
Don't go, well, it seems like a good idea to go over this way. I don't want good ideas. I want God's plan. I'm going to go this way. Why? Because God said so. Philip was in Samaria, and he was having a booming revival in Samaria. Until God says, I want you to go to that street, that one vacant street over by the wilderness. Just go over there. And Philip said, why? He didn't even say why. He just went. And sure enough, the Ethiopian eunuch was there. And he was able to share the gospel with that guy. You go where God tells you to go. And you will always come out on top. Somebody say amen to that. If, if I spoke too fast or if you missed a message, please know we have a podcast so you can go listen to them. And I encourage you to do so. Study your scriptures. Spend time with the Lord. Know what it means to be saved. Know what it means to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Know what it means to truly be a Christian. I want to be fireproof. I don't want to just say, Lord, Lord, on this side of eternity, but yet God does not know me. No, I'm going to know him. And when I know him, he's going to know me. Bow your heads, close your eyes.